welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to speak with you today. You are um, a unique guest to me. I've never actually spoken with somebody with your background and we're going to talk about that, but give us a snapshot of your career story so that we get a context of what we're going to talk about today. Well, it's great to be here and thank you for having me on as a guest. Um, you know, I, I think I'm the epitome of somebody who didn't know what they wanted to be when they grow up and I think I'm still sort of evolving. Um, I was a, a community college dropout. You know, I went to I went to high school and went on to community college and I lasted a semester. Uh, I realized you can't sit in Western Civ and play cards and expect to pass. Uh, and I, I was on my way out of community college trying to figure out what I was going to do. I was walking across the parking lot and uh, somebody I actually went to high school with bumped into me and he said, hey, I'm going to join the volunteer fire department. And I, I said, well, I don't want any part of that. And he said, well, they have they have a big screen TV and they have beer. And they, uh, you know, you just, you just go there and hang out. It's a place to hang out. So I said, all right, well, you know, it sounds good to me. Let's do it. So I became a volunteer fireman at the age of 18 uh, and I fell in love with it. You know, I think every kid wants to be a fireman and I kind of got away from that. Um, but as I got older, it's something I fell in love with. And I, and I credit the fire department with really saving my life because at 18, 19 years old, I had zero direction. You know, I, I, college was a bust. I thought maybe I'd work on cars or something, but I really found a niche in the, in the fire department and I wanted to learn. Um, so I went on and got my EMT certification and then they were offering a paramedic program. And where I, where I was on Long Island, nobody was a paramedic. In New York City, they had paramedics, but on the island, everybody was like a critical care EMT, which was less training. And it made sense because it was a very high um, volunteer population. So I went to paramedic school thinking I'd be a New York City medic, and I did. I started my career in New York City, and then I rolled out to Nassau County. I worked for them for um, a little, little less than 10 years. But during that time, I had recognized that, you know, I started college, but I never finished it. And I thought this was an opportunity to go back. So the, the funny part of that is that I went back to college, but I didn't tell anybody I was going back to college. Um, so I took night classes, and I was dating somebody at the time, and she actually thought I was cheating on her because I would disappear two nights a week. Why not? Um, why didn't you tell? I'm just curious. Why not? So I failed, right? So you know, I I I failed at something, mm -hmm. and it was so hard for me to you know to tell people, hey, I'm trying this again because I thought I was going to fail again. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's interesting that that you asked me that because that has stuck with me throughout my life. You know, it wasn't until I went to paramedic school that I realized I really wasn't as dumb as I thought I was. You know, I, I, I could learn. I could do something. But when I went to when I went on to get my bachelor's degree, well, I, I remember starting that. I went to Queens College and thinking, man, I'm, I might not make it out of here. And then the same thing with my master's. And I finally went on and got a doctorate um, and thinking, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to complete, you know, com complete this program. And it, that all kind of stemmed from that one semester at community college. Uh, but I worked as a firefighter. I worked as a paramedic. I did that for about 25 years in a couple of different locations. I was in New York. Uh, my family and I moved down to Georgia after 9-11. Um, I got on with Gwinnett County down there. And when I was working for the fire department in Georgia, I also started working for the technical college as an adjunct instructor for EMS programs. And that's where I sort of made the transition from public service as a firefighter to higher education. So I said, I went on and got my master's and got my doctorate. Um, so now I'm currently working as a vice president at a college here in, in West Virginia, and I, I kind of felt disconnected from the first responder community. So uh, I guess about, uh, well, about eight months ago, uh, I, I had this idea that I would sit down with some old friends and we would just tell stories. Mm -hmm. So we talk about, you know, old calls that were in, because everybody likes to hear about, you know, the calls that you were on. Uh, and if you put a couple of, you know, firemen in a room, they start talking about, hey, remember this job? Remember that one? 
Uh, and I thought, what a great idea for a podcast. And it started out that way until I had my first guest and he started talking about ghosts and he talked about how he retired and that hypervigilance that you have as a first responder sort of relaxes. And when it relaxes, you, you, you start allowing, you know, thoughts and ideas to get into your head. Mm -hmm. And he talks about this, this car accident that he drove past, uh, you know, 10 years ago was the accident. But he remembers seeing that accident clear as day 10 years later when he drove past it and he saw the ghosts of that accident. Mm -hmm. And that was the first episode of the podcast. And that really opened the door to a broader conversation about not just the calls that first responders run and, and the incidents that we're involved in, but how that affects us. So that's where the podcast is now. We're, we're about eight months into it. Uh, we just uh, we're in the middle of season three and uh, we're going strong. We're having some great conversations and the podcast is called Stories from the Road. Mm, yeah. Hey you, thanks for watching. If you're enjoying this episode, make sure to share it with friends and family who might find it interesting. Make sure to hit the subscribe button as well to stay up to date on weekly new videos that are going to be coming out with some awesome guests that I bring on. And uh, if you have any questions, use the comment section to ask me questions, to interact. I look forward to talking to you. Yeah, and I, mean, I recently came across this when you came across it when you and I connected. And that's why I was like, oh, I have to have a chat because it's not something I... It's, I don't have any friends that are first responders. I don't have anybody in my network that are first responders. So I found it quite intriguing. I think, I think that it's, um, it's just so educational just to understand what that life is like. Uh, because it's very, you know, us as, uh, as customers, I guess, so your customers on, on the other side, right, where we tend to be a little bit judgmental. And we tend to be like, you know, uh, trying to kind of, you know, like, you know, suggest better ways of doing certain things, you know, but it's not until you're in those roles like in many other cases, right, is that you actually understand the ins and outs and the challenges and the, and all those things. So I think it's uh, it's quite it's it's quite interesting. And um, I have to say, I relate very much to your community college story. Um, it took me many many years um, to also realize that maybe maybe I'm I'm you know average smart person because I barely passed high school. I never got into university because I couldn't pass the SATs. Like. It was just, it was just, uh, it was bad for me in general. And I never found myself very strong academically. So, um, and I, I can relate to, to the fear of failure and kind of having that and carrying that with you. And, I, and I'm glad that, um, you know, in your case, the, the fire department at that time and, and doing the um, uh, EMT kind of training is what got you out of that. And I think it's so important to hear from, because I think a lot of people feel that way, that if you are not successful in something that doesn't mean, that doesn't make you, you know, stupid or bad or any of those things, it was just an experience. Um, so I very much relate to that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and that's, so I'm just going to jump on that for one second, because that's what I like so much about the work that I do now in higher education. You know, we don't, I always say we don't have any rules. If you want to take one of our classes, you can take a class. We don't have entrance exams. We don't have GPAs that you have to have as a minimum to get in. You know, if you want to be, and one of the classes that we teach is the paramedic program. So if you want to be a paramedic, you come to our college and if you can fill out the application, we'll take you in the class and we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important because not everybody is an, a good test taker and no, and really we have to move away from that. Honestly, it's, um, uh, I feel like certain, certain positions maybe will require to be like really great test taking, but a majority uh, skills can be learned. And I truly believe that if people are given the opportunity and the environment to kind of thrive. Um, but let me ask you before we go into, I, I want to ask you about your podcast because I think there's so, I'm sure there's so many learnings and I'm kind of curious to hear about that. But before we go into it, so you, you know, at the age of 18, 19, decided to kind of, you know, go into, uh, to be a volunteer firefighter. What has, you know, 
when I guess, have you ever questioned that decision when you went into it? And what made you want to stay for that long? Like, what was it specifically in addition to like that career progression that perhaps you saw? But I'm sure there were moments you're like, I don't know if I should be doing this or this is too scary. Like, have there been moments of doubt? So there really haven't been moments of doubt. Um, what there have been is there have been moments where I wasn't sure how I was going to react to something, mm-hmm. you know, so I think the easiest example is you pull up to a, a building fire and it's, you know, it's fully involved. There's flame everywhere. And you think to yourself, you know, is this going to be, is this going to be the tough one? Is this going to be the one where it's too hot or I get hurt or, or something along those lines. Um, but I think all that sort of goes away. The second you hit the front door, you know, you have a job to do and you do it and you're well-trained and everybody around you is in the same situation. You know, we're all in this together and we're going to go get it. Uh, but there, there have been times where, you know, I, I remember, you know, uh, some of the calls that I guess were more difficult to deal with. So suicides, right? So you get a call for uh, a, a suicide and it's someone who maybe put a, a, a rifle in their mouth and pulled the trigger. And it, it's, I don't want to say it's not a big deal because it's not a call that's difficult to handle. But I think what what I always questioned, not so much as, you know, what would I do or, am I good enough or can I handle this? It was, what's my reaction going to be when I walk into this house and see what I'm about to see? You know, am I going to get sick? Am I going to be upset? Is this going to be the, you know, when's that one call going to come in that I just can't handle? It's just too much for me. And fortunately in my career, that has never happened. Um, But I have seen other medics have, have, you know, those sort of responses. Uh, When it comes to fires, you know, like I said, there's, there's nerves, there's, there's some concern, Maybe in the very beginning, you know, when you know it's a, you go, you know you're going to something really big, but I think the second you hit the ground and the second you start doing your job, at least for me, that goes away and you're just you're in the moment and you you have to rely on your training and your skill and your instinct um, and the guys that are around you. But um, so I never had any doubt about the career. I never had any doubt about you know what would happen to me. I think the only concerns I ever had was how I would react, and that was mostly on the medical side than it was on the fire side. Yeah. Like, what is that one thing that's going to break me? Right. Cause, cause it, it, I mean, it, you know, everybody's different. So it, it does happen. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. But it does happen. Um, and so I imagine, so like in the world of therapy, for example, right. Like when they therapists kind of, um, do sessions with clients after X number of sessions, they have to have a therapy session themselves just to kind of release all that energy. And, and in the world of, uh, first responders, I'm sure there's a ton of that is, and I'm sure there's a ton of training in terms of like, how do you set your mindset? How do you prepare yourself for uncertainty? You have no idea what you're going into a lot of times. So what are some trainings that you feel are, have been like, you know, absolutely um, uh, grounding in, in that sense? And is there anything that regular people in everyday life can try at home to help prepare for certain, I don't know, uh, uncertainties that might uh, pop up? So I think that's a great, that's a great question. And I think it, at least for me, and maybe my generation of firefighters, it's a big misconception. Mm-hmm. So and I'll give you a good example. You know, the first call that, that I was involved in as a firefighter was a tractor trailer that hit a small Toyota, put it against the pole, and this guy's legs were essentially amputated right there in the street. Um, and we never had any training. We never talked about it. Um, we joked about it when we got to the bar. And I know that sounds morbid and horrible, but that was how we, you know, that was how we responded to things like that. So mm-hmm. throughout my career, I mean, it wasn't until the later years of my career um, and I, I left the fire service in 2012, but it was probably those last couple of years that any kind of training 
of, of how to deal with the things that you see over and over again really started to, you know, to become, um, you know, normal in the fire service. So, uh, for instance, I, I had a fire where um, there was a there was a man that shot his wife and then shot himself. Well, he lit the house on fire in between. Then he shot himself. So we had two shooting victims. One was in the house. The house was on fire. The first due engine and ambulance took care of the of the shooter. He was in the back. We didn't know what happened at the time. And then me and another guy went in and we pulled that woman out and, you know, in this, this big fire that we had. And we had, we had what was called critical incident stress debriefing, which was, you know, we sat in a room, we kind of talked about it. And again, you know, he was a, an old Philly firefighter. I was from, you know, Long Island, uh, you know, just outside of New York. Um, we had been doing this for a long time and probably didn't get anything out of it because that's just the way, you know, we were brought up and we were doing this for 20 years already. And you just, you didn't talk about it, you know, or if you did talk about it, you joked around about it or you, you did whatever you could um, just to get it out of your mind or to compartmentalize it and put it away somewhere. I think now, uh, probably within the last five or 10 years, there's a lot more focus on, you know, critical incident stress. There's a lot more understanding of what seeing these things every single day for X number of years will actually do to you. There's an understanding of PTSD. Uh, so there's a number of trainings out there, and, and I'm very proud that the uh, our, our program director for our EMS programs offers, you know, mental health first aid for first responders. Um, so we do a lot of training, and we and we we try and make it very clear to the students that come through our program that these training courses are available now while they're in school, but they're also available down the road. And we've had a great response from the departments around us that are now seeking this training and now starting to understand you know, what this trauma does to you, you know, over, over time. I think everybody that's involved as a first responder that's been doing it for any, any period of time has some sort of PTSD, whether they want to admit it or not. And I think that just manifests itself differently. You know, one of the scary things is we're losing more first responders to suicide than we are to line of duty deaths. And that's a really scary thing. So, the training is out there. I, I think it's it's more available now than it ever was. But for me, when I was when I was doing that job, it really wasn't out there. Mm. That's so surprising to me that it wasn't such a you know. Uh, so I'm 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 glad I asked that question. I was really convinced that I'm sure there's got to be something right because it's such a. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a, the kind of jobs that you guys are doing are like, you have to have that like on every day, if anything, every, every like occasion, that's really surprising to me. Mm. You know, one of the things that sticks out to me is you see a lot of ads on TV for asbestos, right? The folks that worked in the mines and worked in, in industry where they were exposed to asbestos over and over again. And, you know, now they're developing this horrible lung cancer, right? And, and there's all these lawsuits. And I think at some point, the lawyers are going to look at first responders and say, you know what, you were exposed to all this trauma for 20 or 25 or 30 years, and nobody ever did anything to support you. And now you have this PTSD. And the next wave of you know, class action lawsuits are going to be first responders suing their departments, because they knew that they were exposing all these guys to this trauma, and they weren't doing enough to support them. And I don't know if that's ever going to happen. But I, I, I think that analogy is, um, it's, it's accurate. And it wouldn't surprise me one bit if those lawsuits started coming down the road uh, for all those guys that were exposed and, and ladies as well that were exposed to PTSD and never had any treatment or any um, preparation or anything for it. Mm. Yeah, and now with all the research we have in terms of neuroscience and, and kind of the, the what's happening on the subconscious and what's happening in the brain and, and different areas that are affected when we experience trauma, we can see it on, on, on um, 
uh, what's the word on scans mm-hmm. uh, versus maybe 10 years ago we didn't see that because this is a lot in the world of just kind of talent you know human development so to say so there's a lot of research so i'm sure and they, i'm sure there's a ton of research i'm not a scientist but i've read i've read a lot about it and it's really over the last like five ten years that we've been really coming out so i think that's probably going to play a role significantly um because now there's evidence like it actually does affect us we might not realize it but there's something happening in our brain that normally doesn't happen um right. so that's interesting um what i wanted to ask you so you've kind of mentioned this before that you there was a moment when you just kind of kept waiting for that thing to happen for you to realize you know for you to be like okay maybe this is it maybe i'm done here so i'm sure that was a learning lesson for yourself about yourself about how much you can actually um you know take on essentially and and process um what are some other things that you've learned about yourself over this last you know such a long career as a first responder so i think one of the uh one of the more interesting things that I recognize. So I was, I was a firefighter on Long Island. Um, I moved down to Georgia when I was, I guess I was in my early thirties and I got on with, with the fire department down there. I think it was 34 or 35 when I got hired. I knew a whole lot about firefighting. You know, I knew, I knew how the job worked. I knew the tactics. I knew the techniques. I've been doing it for so long. But when I went through the fire academy in Georgia, um, one, it was warm. It was Georgia. So it was warm weather out there. Um, and, and we had this one, this one instructor and he was, he was just kind of a sadist, you know, he wanted to see how hard he could push us. Um, and part of that is going through an academy. You do get pushed, but I think this guy just really enjoyed it a little bit more than he should have. Um, and, and they would push us. And I remember that it was, it was the last day that we were really being pushed before we, I think we graduated in like two or three days after that. So it was the last day where they could really beat the snot out of us. And they lined us all up and we're all wearing our gear. And again, I'm, you know, in my mid thirties. I'm with kids that are, you know, 21, 22 years old, and you had to crawl. You had to crawl something like 50 yards, right? And it was on a hill, and it was just a mess. You had to crawl as fast as you could, wearing, you know, 40, 45 pounds worth of gear. And whoever won, they were done. They didn't have to do it anymore. And if you didn't win, then you had to just go back and crawl the other way. You take a two-second break, and then off you go. And I remember getting to the point where I knew I wasn't going to win. I was, you know, and I'm not using my age. I mean, these guys were in better shape than I was. Um, but I got to the end and instead of waiting for him to say, all right, turn around and do it again. I just turned around and did it again. I said, you know, you're going to beat the snot out of us. It's fine. Anything that you can put on me, I can take and you're not going to break me. Um, and that's what I learned in, in the fire. I didn't learn anything new about firefighting, but I learned how hard I could push my body. And that is a really important thing to know because firefighters die 10 feet from the front door. You know, they get to a point and they can't push any further and they're trying to get out and they're in a bad spot and they end up dying close to the front door. Um, So knowing that you can push yourself just a little bit harder and knowing that someone is not going to break you, um, that is an important thing to know about yourself. And maybe that's the extra 10 feet that it takes to get out of a building and Mm -hmm. and survive a a catastrophic event. So that's what I that's what I've learned. Mm -hmm. And when you were growing up as a kid and like as a teen, right, um, did you already have this innate in you, this kind of um, keep moving forward, keep keep kind of going mentality? Or did you, do you feel like you've developed it or do you feel it came to life during, because you were put in an environment where you're like, you had an opportunity to, or did you, have you always had that? So I think I've always had that. Um, I've always been someone that if I didn't know how to do something, thing and I wanted to know how to do it, I learned how to do it. And it didn't matter how I got from point A to point B. And, and a good example, kind of, it probably sounds a little silly from what I just talked about, but 
Um, I always wanted to learn how to play the piano. I was probably the only kid that ever asked his parents for piano lessons. We didn't have a piano in our house. My parents just said, I don't know how we're going to teach you how to play the piano. We don't have a piano. So I would actually sit in the high school. We had a, we had a kind of like a cafeteria auditorium combined and there was a piano sitting there. And every day after school, I would sit there and try and figure out how to play a piano. And I got pretty good at it. I, I could, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a musician. I can't, you know, I can't go on tour with the band or anything, but I learned how to play the piano just by sitting there and doing it. And I think, you know, podcasting, right. I had no idea how to do a podcast, but I, but I learned how to do it. I, I, I watched stuff online and I read and I researched and I figured out what equipment I needed because I want, it was something I wanted to do and I did it. So I think that mentality of maybe not, not being broken, but, you know, wanting something so bad that you'll do whatever it takes to get it. I think that's always been with me. Mm. And that's interesting because, um, so I do a lot of young talent um, development and, I, and I've worked in, in my, um, early in my career with high school and university students. And, and I'm just still so mind bottled because you're, you're one of many, many examples and you're like a prime example in this conversation in terms of that you had a certain set of skills that a lot of people innately just simply don't have so college going through traditional community college or university was probably not going to be your route anyway yet the, I, the 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 reality is that a lot of times um young people are not even exposed to other opportunities right i feel like there's not enough awareness to say like what else is there that i can do and you are because listen it takes a lot to become to 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 become a um firefighter or a first responder regardless of what was the reason you went in to stay in it that long and to have the mindset and just from this conversation what what you're telling me about it's it's not easy i mean there's people working regular corporate job that cannot handle everyday stress <laughs> you know and goes i'm not i'm not joking them but that's the reality so so the fact that you've had that mindset but you know, and, I'm, and again, I mean, I, I, you know, whatever I guess people believe in, I mean, maybe it was just meant to be for you to kind of run into your friend from high school. But what if you didn't? And it could have been like a potential wasted or maybe, you know what I mean? So, and I feel like so many young people are in this situation where we're, we're trying to put them in these boxes. And if you're not passing exams, if you're not doing well in university, it's almost like you, you're written off. When mm -hmm. in fact, again, you're one of many prime examples to say there's a much different way where not everybody can take this route either. I think that's really interesting. And, and I'll give you a good example. So I have, I have three kids and my two oldest are in college. So I have a daughter, super smart. Um, you know, she was going to a university from day one. She's at Mississippi State right now. I went to Georgia. I'm drinking out of my Georgia cup and she broke my heart and went to Mississippi State. But that's a whole nother story. Um, but that was always her path. You know, she was very smart in school, very conscientious. She went to the football games. You know, she was a cheerleader for a while. Um, she was that kid. And her path was always going to be a four-year degree, maybe a master's, you know, doing something else. My son, on the other hand, he's, he's exactly like I am, right? So, you know, he barely made it through high school. But he, he, he's a smart kid. He really is. But he's not a kid that enjoys learning, or at least not learning, you know, English and math and science. He likes he likes to do things, um, but he's just in. He took a year off, and now he's just enrolled in um, a technical college, and he's going to become an auto mechanic. Mm -hmm. And that is something that he really loved. Like he bought an old car a year ago. He bought a 1993 Honda. Um, it's a little little sport Honda Del Sol, and we've been working on it. 
Um, and, you know, he tells me, he's like, yeah, hey, I bought this part. I'm going to put it on or I bought, you know, I'm going to do this to the car or I want to learn how to. And, and he's had no training yet. And, and, and I've, I know how to work on cars, work on cars since I was, you know, a kid with my dad. So he and I do a lot of stuff together. But now he's going to he's going to go to college. He's going to go to a two year program. He's going to get his ASE, ASE mechanic certification. And he is going to be great at what he does because he loves doing it. Mm-hmm. And if he and if he doesn't love doing it then he'll figure out something else to do. But he's that kid where he's going to, he's just going to do something that makes him happy. And it's not going to be that four year, you know, college university, uh, you know, path. It's going to be that two year community college, you know, get a, get a skill, earn an honest living and just love what he's doing every day. Uh, And I couldn't be more proud of, of him. I mean, I'm proud of my daughter as well, but, you know, I'm proud of both my kids, even though they took totally different paths yeah. Um, and my younger son is, I don't know, I, I think my younger son is going to go the university route. I'm not sure yet. He's still in high school, but uh, I'm so proud of the two older ones for, you know, following what they want to do. You know, even that year off that he took, I think it was really important for him to take a year off and figure it out. Because if he went to a four-year college, I don't know that he would have been successful. I mean, he's, he's stubborn, so he probably would have been, but I'm not sure that he would have really enjoyed it. He probably would have left because he, you know, he, well, he wasn't doing what he wanted to do. Um, so that that gap year really allowed him to figure out what he wanted to do. And, and I think this is his fit. I think this is what he's going to enjoy. And, and I see him going in a whole bunch of different directions, like owning his own shop or uh, buying, you know, these old 80s and 90s cars and flipping them and making some good money doing that. You know, he's just that's what's in him. But I think he's going to do really well, even though he didn't go the traditional college route like other other kids go. And I think it's just fine what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that example. Thank you for sharing, because it's just that that's what that's kind of my message here is to say, like, there's so many ways to 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 enjoy what you're doing. Right. Um, Make money, have that purpose. And that is more valuable than, you know, a a lot of the so to say, like, you know, going by the by the books kind of kind of work. And I think it's it's really good. And again, like you said, for some people, it's the way and for some people, it's not. And my push is like for those that, you know, not always going to a traditional route, like there's so many options. And I really encourage people and parents to like explore those options and not be afraid. <laughs> like, you know, a kid is going to be fine. You know, they're probably still going to make some money as long as they love what they're doing. They'll find a way they'll be OK, you know, because that's the concern for parents. They want to be happy. They want to be financially stable. Right. So, so, so I think that there's um, um, uh, the great examples. So thanks for that. Um, I wanted to also ask you um, a little bit more about your podcast. So um, just to shift focus and because I think it's very interesting. And again, not many people talk to first responders. So I guess if you have um, any kind of themes that you've seen come out, like other lessons that um, you know, well, no, I have a few questions, but the first one, let's start with like other lessons uh, that from your conversations that you feel like there's themes across, whether it's a firefighter or police um, or uh, EMTs, et cetera. Are there any lessons that come out that speak out, I guess? Yeah. So, you know, like I said earlier, you know, I thought it was going to be a good time. We tell some stories, you know, just shoot the breeze, meet a couple of friends. Um, and that mental health aspect of the job really just floated to the top right away. And it started with that first episode. Um, and it's it's picked up throughout almost almost every conversation. I do have a friend from high school. He was a New York City ESU cop. And uh, I, I don't know that he has any feelings because he has no mental health issues whatsoever, at least not that he shares. But everybody else that comes on, 
um, at least a little bit, talks about how the job has affected them. And, and, and really, I think that's become a much more important conversation uh, than just letting people know what first responders do, right? So we all know what we do, right? We get in, you know, you, you know, you've seen a fire truck go down the road and you kind of think, all right, well, there's a couple of guys in the fire truck and maybe there's something on fire or maybe someone had a car accident or maybe they, there's an ambulance call, but they're going to go do their job. And it's not until you hear it from the first responder side, right? So you hear that firefighter talk about pulling up to that house and that mom that's outside screaming at you, my, you know, my kid's in there. You know, and then you've got to make a decision based on what that building looks like as far as whether you're going to enter it, whether, you know, we have a saying in the fire service, you risk a lot to save a lot, you risk a little to save a little, you know, how much risk are we going to take at that point? And I think that's the side of first responders or, or firefighters that people probably don't really think of when that fire truck goes by, you know, it's just, it's cool to see a fire truck go by, right? The kids wave to it and, you know, it probably makes you pull over and you get a little mad because you're going to be late. But I don't think you think I don't think most people think about the other side or the rest of that call. And I think that's something that also comes out in the podcast is if you're, you know, for lack of a better term, a civilian, right? So you, you have nothing to do with being a first responder. When you listen to my guests come on and tell their stories, you know, all of a sudden things start to to appear a little bit differently. And I, and I think you start to develop, you know, just a better understanding of what this job and, and it doesn't matter if you're a firefighter, police officer. I mean, I had a dispatcher. Uh, come on. And she talked about just a horrific call that she, that she, that she took and had to listen to. Uh, she went home after the call. It affected her that, that much. Um, and I don't think people really think about that. You know, you think about calling 911, but you don't think about the five people before you that called 911. Um, and just recently I had, I had a, a, a paramedic supervisor on, and I think she summed it up really well. And she said, you know, when, when someone calls 911, they, they don't necessarily care about what you just did before, you know, before that person got to you, right? So, you know, I may have had a horrific car accident with, you know, three people dead in it. And now you're calling me because you have chest pain. Well, you don't really care about what I did before then, but that's still in me. That's still with me. So it's getting a lot of conversations like that out. And it's, it's sharing that information. And I, and I hope that it is doing two things. One, it's building a community for first responders to recognize that, hey, the stuff that you're feeling is exactly the same stuff that I'm feeling. It's the same stuff that I went through. And I think it's, I hope it's building a better understanding for people who aren't first responders to understand what first responders go, go through and to recognize that, you know, if they're having a bad day, there's probably a good reason why they're having a bad day. They're not just having a bad day. Um, so those are the two things that I hope my podcast is doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I agree. I think there's a lot of uh, misconceptions that, you know, first responders, like, we're, you know, you're supposed to be trained for this, and you're supposed to, you know, X, Y, and Z, but at the end of the day, I think people forget that they're just human beings, um, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and again, surprising the fact that they don't always get that mental health support, at least not in the past. Now, hopefully, it's, a, it's more there, because I think it's, it's so important for, for, for everybody, essentially, but especially for people that are in those situations. And, um, and yeah, I think that's just probably one of the biggest misconceptions that we have. Um, is that we're supposed these people are supposed to have it together, right? Um, and you and you're right. I don't know what kind of call that person might have had before, um, before let's say you know another person called. So it's um, it's quite interesting. Mm. Um, and so um, so part of that is for you to kind of build that community. Um, but I guess what are some what I mean. What inspired you? I mean, you you wanted to kind of reconnect with with fire, fire firefighters and first responders, right? But 
just even even in your free time like do you ever go back and try to volunteer or like or you just or you've kind of you feel like you've left that life behind or are you still trying to get involved do you miss it do you miss that thrill compared to kind of I'm sure higher education has its own <laughs> level of thrill but do you miss the thrill of um I don't know if the thrill is the right word here so I apologize but that do you know it's a very different life uh, I would imagine it is you're 100 right and it, it's maybe not a, not a thrill but it's that yeah, wrong word I don't even know I don't even know what to call it but it's it's that that I guess feeling is really the best way to sum it's that feeling of being a firefighter and one of the things that was always important to me was that when I went to work as a firefighter I I almost almost every tour that I that I ran I made an impact in somebody's life whether I whether if I was on the ambulance as a paramedic if I was on the you know the, the engine or the truck as a, working you know the fire side of things I always made an impact and I think that's something that I really miss in higher education um I I miss being a firefighter every day. I miss being a paramedic every day. I miss doing that work. Uh, I there are some things that I don't miss about it. I don't miss being up all night, and uh, you know, I'm very fortunate uh, financially that I was able to move out of public service and into the line of work that I'm in now because it's afforded my family the opportunity to do things that we probably never would have been able to do. Um, I know it's a you know, firefighters don't firefighters medics don't make a whole lot of money. They work a lot of overtime to make ends meet. And I'm very fortunate that I had the education and the drive to to do something else. Um, so we've we've lived a better life. You know, my, my daughter's going to to the universe uh, to Mississippi State University, and you know we're not taking a ton of loans to do that. So we're we're very fortunate that we can do those things. Um, but I do miss the job, and I miss interacting with people. I think I've stayed connected uh, my entire time in, in high. It's kind of funny because everything that I've done in higher education for the last ten years has one way or another pulled me back into EMS education. So um, my first four years, I was an EMS program director. So that was easy, right? I was putting a, I was teaching EMT and paramedic classes. So I felt the connection there. Uh, my next job as a Dean of Health Sciences, I had a paramedic program that was in shambles. Uh, so my job as a Dean was to put that back together. Um, a little while later, I went to uh, another job and I was, in a, I was a Dean of Health and Public Safety programs. Um, and again, paramedic program, it was in trouble. So I had to jump in and, and do that. And even now, you know, I'm a vice president. I figured I was, I was done with EMS. Uh, the first thing that I heard when I got up, to, when I got up here in, in, in West Virginia, the first thing that I heard in this area was we need EMS education programs. Mm -hmm. We don't have EMT programs. We don't have a paramedic program. So of course, uh, you know, at this level, now I'm going after grants. I got a half a million dollar grant to start, you know, an EMT and paramedic program up here. Um, so I teach a little bit in the program. I don't, I don't do a lot. You know, they, they, they let me teach every once in a while if I want to. Um, I have a great program director who does a, a, an outstanding job and she certainly doesn't need my help. Um, in fact, she comes in my office all the time and she's like, hey, what do you think about this? I'm like, I think it's your program. You should do what you want. Um, but, you know, so they kind of keep me connected. Uh, so, so I do. And, 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 and for me, it's, it, it feels good to be connected to the programs, um, even if it's just getting funding for them or, you know, doing a lecture or doing a couple of labs with the students every once in a while. And it, I, I like I like being around those students. They're, they, they're always my favorite students at any job that I've had in higher education. Um, I think what they're doing is noble. I, I know what it's going to do to them. So I always have a little bit of guilt because uh, I know that they're going to experience the things that I experienced and I know how it's going to affect them because I know how it affected me. So they're is a little bit of guilt there, but I also always let them know that my door is always open. They have my phone number if they need it. 
Um, you know, when they get out into the field and they have that rough call, they can call me, they can call the program director. We're always going to be there for them. Um, it's not just, you know, you get your certification and you're gone out the door. We never want to see you again. You know, we're connected. Um, so I do miss it, but I do find a way to, to stay connected to it. And the podcast has really um, sort of let me let me get reconnected uh, to some of the things that I did and to hear some of the stories that um, the guests have talked about. And it's kind of funny because even if I'm not telling the story, I have the same story or a very similar story, or I went through the same thing or something very similar. And again, that's where that sense of community, I think, comes in that we share so many similarities. Yeah, absolutely. And so on the on just a last question for me is on the last on, on the topic of mental health. So, um, you know, you've gone through your own experiences. What do you do today to kind of help help maintain um you know that the, the mindset and, and help kind of manage some of the things that you've seen as well are there particular routines or habits that are in place to help you with your well-being overall i don't know i'm probably i'm probably pretty unhealthy when it comes to mental health because I, I i don't do anything um i don't i don't do yoga i don't you know meditate or anything i just i I am really good at compartmentalizing it and I, I push it down. I push it aside. Um, with that being said, there are certain things that I do. So I work out at a CrossFit gym. Um, I'm still fat, but I work out at a CrossFit gym. But, you know, when 9-11 comes around, that's just a bad day for me. I was in New York that day. I was working that day. It is just, you know, it, it just, it, it affects me. And I, and I know it does. So I go to the gym and I do a, a 9-11. We call it a wad. It's a workout of the day. Um, and it's just a, just a brutal beating, but that feels good to me. Um, I have a, a good friend of mine who took his own life and um, the guys at the department that I used to work at, they created a workout that has his name on it. Um, so every October I do that workout. So I think I do little things here and there, but for the most part, um, I don't talk about it. I, I kind of push it down. I, I sort of keep it in the back of my mind. I know that it affects me um, and, and, and I can feel it. And in fact, when I started doing this podcast, I recognized that I was getting really angry, you know, for no reason. I was getting really angry at things and I wasn't sure why. Um, and it didn't dawn on me until later on that having these conversations in this podcast uh, was really starting to bother me. So I had to recognize that and I had to deal with it. Um, but for the most part, I'm, I'm really bad at taking care of myself. Like I think most, most uh, guys like me are, but um, you know, we figure out a way to get through and, and that part of my life is over and you know, I just try and try and stay as mentally healthy as I can, um, but I really don't do anything to mm. uh, purposely, you know, deal with anything. Mm. Well, thank you for your honesty, first of all. But I, th I think the I think the exercise in the CrossFit, I think that is doing something right. So you are you are being proactive about certain things. And I think the podcast itself could be therapeutic in a way it could be, you know what I mean? So I think that you know, I think a lot of people, again, there's a misconception therapy needs to be yoga and meditation, all that, that's not, not uh, uh, or that well-being has to be that. And it's not that for everybody. It's different for some people to go in and get a hard workout for some people. It's just going and dancing. It can be so many things. So I don't think there was, there's wrong or right answers here. I think just whatever works for you in a way that works for you and when you're ready to kind of um, uh, manage it and, and et cetera. But I mean, it sounds like you're, you're, like you said, you come from, I can't even pronounce it. Compartmentalize that word. But, and I'll just add, I think if, if I was still doing the job, you know, if I, if I'd been doing the job for the last 10 years, I think I probably would be doing more because I think the job has changed and the way 
first responders are treated by their employers now has changed. So I think whether I wanted to or not, I would probably be pushed into doing more to take care of myself. Uh, but being away from it for so long, I think it's really easy for me to just compartmentalize it, push it down, leave it in the past. And again, I have I have some days that are bad days. And, you know, I go and, you know, do 100 wall balls or go run a mile and beat the snot out of myself. And I feel better when I when I do that. Um, interestingly enough, on Monday, I released a podcast. Uh, it was a bonus episode. I talked to um, two guys, one's a fireman, one's a police officer, and they do it's called the Tour de Force, and it's a 280-mile bike ride. It started after after 9-11. It was a New York City detective, and I think a lot of us that were in or around New York City on that day, we felt helpless, and we wanted to do something, and, and this detective wanted to do something. So a year later, he rode a bicycle with seven or eight of his friends from the Pentagon to Ground Zero, and it's about a 280-mile ride, and for the last 20 years, these guys have been going out on the ride. But when I had these two on the podcast and we were talking about it, you know, they said there's something that feels really good about suffering because there's so many guys out there um, and ladies too. I say guys, but I, I mean that collectively. Um, but there's so many folks out there that would give anything to suffer like you are right now because they can't anymore because they were killed in the line of duty because they're unable to because they're sick. So, you know, that suffering is almost a way to pay tribute to those who can't do that stuff anymore. And, and I think that's really important. Well, thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for the podcast. I think it's so important that you are sharing the stories. Um, and again, I think a lot of people have a lot of misconception about first responders. So I think putting it out there is educational um, and, uh, and just hopefully makes us better as a community and creates that community, not only of first responders, but of people who want to support and kind of you know, just try to recognize um, the, the challenges that you guys deal with. So um, thank you for that. Um, and um, can you just give a shout out in terms of where you're hosting your podcast? Where can people find you? Um, if maybe they just want to connect or join the community? Sure. So we're on social media. It's uh, Stories from the Road podcast with an underscore after each word. Um, we're on Apple, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms. If you search for Stories from the Road uh, stories from the road is the name of the podcast um, and our website is stories from the road podcast.com so all all different ways that they can find us um, you know we're out there and i'll make sure to share that in the description as well phil thank you for your time pleasure to talk to you thank you for your stories and uh, for all that you're doing to for the community thank you well thank you for having me on i really appreciate it yeah.